you know, when we talk about systemic racism, we really are talking about systems of oppression and domination in our society that exists. Welcome to Let's Talk Hope. You just heard a quote from today's guest, Dr. Danielle Padgett, who has a background in academia, including specialties in intercultural communication, diversity, and social justice. I'm your host, Lauren Plavnik. And I'm your co-host, Marianne Shuck. On today's podcast, we're diving into the very important topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion. This is an episode we've been wanting to do for a while, and we're so happy to have a very qualified guest in Dr. Danielle Padgett joining us today to share her knowledge. Marion, before we hear from our guest, what do you think about when you hear the words diversity, equity, and inclusion? Thanks, Lauren. In 2020, the murder of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor shifted attention and highlighted the systemic racism that has been present in this country for so long. Diversity and inclusion has been an increasingly important topic because organizations are finally recognizing the damage that has been caused by not being inclusive in the workplace, communities, and across the country. The lack of diversity and inclusion prevents equity and is harmful for all facets of society. For Gift of Hope, diversity, equity, and inclusion is extremely important. As our donor families and the communities we serve are vital to saving and enhancing lives. More importantly, the organ, eye, and tissue donation process starts in the community and occurs in the hospital. Therefore, being inclusive creates a positive culture for donation and supports donor families and the communities we serve. That's very true. And one of the biggest myths amongst minorities that I encounter when I'm out in the field is that doctors will let you die to take your organs and help save someone else's life. I want to say up top that this is completely false and a medical professional takes an oath to save lives, not to end them. However, this myth is rooted in the deep mistrust of the medical field when in the past, Black people were lied to and used for medical experiments. This also relates to the Latino community as the mistrust stems from when women were sterilized without knowledge of what was being done to them. For Gift of Hope to continue our outreach efforts within diverse communities, we must be sensitive and understand the root of the mistrust and work to gain back trust and expel myths about organ and tissue donation. The issue of healthcare disparities in the Black community still exists, and another instance of that in 2020 was with COVID highlighting that disparity. Thank you, Lauren. The pandemic showed many of the inequalities that still exist in the healthcare system based on how many black and brown lives were lost due to COVID and how geographic areas composed predominantly of minority and multicultural families had less access to medical care and treatment for COVID-related symptoms. We're now going to delve deeper into this topic with Dr. Danielle Paget, who will share her insights and expertise around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Danielle, can you tell us more about the industry you're in and how you got involved? I have been uh, in academia for over 16 years, uh, teaching in the subject matter of communication and culture. And of course, having that kind of a background, uh, my, my doc is in intercultural communication, having that kind of background uh, coupled with industry experience in communication, I've come at this work uh, from a very different angle. And I would say when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and really now we're starting to talk about social justice uh, and equity, 
I have been uh, doing this work for probably about six or seven years now. And, you know, I think none of us who are doing this kind of work uh, enjoy every moment of it because there's so much of it uh, that is based in struggle and based in conversations that we need to have. But it is very rewarding work, especially when you begin to see people come together around these topics. And Danielle, you've done a lot of work with our sister OPO, Gift of Life Michigan, and AMAT, the Association for Multicultural Affairs and Transplantation. Many people think that systemic racism just occurred with the death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery. But can you just help us understand, you know, exactly what systemic racism is, how it contributes to diversity, equity, and inclusion issues? You know, it's such an important question today, but I think it's such a big question uh, to begin to kind of take apart. You know, when we talk about systemic racism, we really are talking about systems of oppression and domination in our society that exists. And I think if we look in layperson's terms, we are looking at structures that exist in our society that are designed to marginalize some while privileging others. And if you look at the housing system, you know, if my, our listeners could just think about where you are at any moment and you think about housing, you think about transportation, you think about our educational system, our healthcare system, the criminal justice system, all of those are systems. And when we look at uh, systematic oppression, we really are talking about uh, systems that based on their design are designed to privilege some while marginalizing others. Absolutely. And what can we do as we talk about, and, and we've seen everything play out in the newspapers, right, in social media, and everything that is happening in an instant with telephones and, you know, being right there, what are some things people can understand on how to be inclusive, how to rectify um, diversity, equity, and inclusion inequities? Let's back up too, to that previous question. You know, part of the, the other thing that you spoke about was how systemic oppression and marginality is connected to issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, even if you look at what's happening now, we're in a pandemic. And when we look at, you know, what's happening with COVID and how uh, there have been some populations that are uh, drastically affected, uh, everybody's affected by this, but there are uh, populations that are uniquely uh, affected by this with pre-existing conditions and very similar kinds of uh, life conditions when we look at organ tissue and eye donation. This, it, it, what it means is that you have uh, individuals and groups you know, even when we look at organ and tissue donation and we look at the myths that are uh, affecting a lot of communities of color, multicultural communities around, you know, apprehension. Why, you know, will I not sign up uh, to be on the donor registry? A lot of that is rooted in oppression and it's rooted in these communities' understandings of uh, how they have fared down through the generations when we look at systemic oppression. So the connection between that and today us talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion is that we have to begin to reconstruct, deconstruct, you know, whatever the phrase or the term that we want to call it, 
but these systems can't be allowed to operate as they currently do. We have to begin to dismantle those things that are not working for all and make sure that they are working equally for all. And I think that's where the equity piece comes in, that it's not just enough to have something available, but to begin to make connections to uh, communities that have not always had access. Thank you so much for that because, and I thank you for using the word connection. And to your point, prior to COVID, there have been lifelong marginalization of communities of color with regards to healthcare and, as you mentioned, housing, but particularly in organ, eye, and tissue donation, where all of the myths stemming from Tuskegee and experiences and not having access to healthcare has colored the way minority and multicultural communities look at healthcare. From your perspective, Dr. Danielle, what do you think we can do to help these communities feel more comfortable with healthcare and with healthcare professionals so that they can get the care and the transplants and life-saving transplants that they deserve? Such a powerful question. When you mentioned before uh, my work with Gift of Life Michigan, your sister organization, my goodness, you know, in 2017, we did, um, into 2018, we did focus group research. So in, in the beginning part of 2018, we organized some focus groups and we invited African-American, Arab-American communities and Latinx communities to come in groups and begin to talk to us about some of the apprehension that they had experienced and the attitudes that they possess about organ tissue and eye donation. And it was just you know, to be in that moment, Marion, where you're in the room with people who are legitimizing uh, these real experiences that they have had with medical professionals uh, over the course of their life, and maybe even looking at, you know, the lives of their family members and, and close loved ones, uh, it was phenomenal. Uh, we had a uh, two African American women that were in their 60s, they were sisters. And one of them was uh, in support of organ uh, donation. And the other was, frankly, she was not. And they were talking about their mother and that their mother supported it. And the question was about, you know, if you had to help your family make a decision to support someone who had already said yes to organ and tissue donation, what would be your role? When you look at uh, the Black body and how bodies have just been infiltrated uh, from slavery and beyond. When you look at cases like Henrietta Lacks, you know, when we look at her cancer cells uh, or the co-opting of her cells uh, to provide cancer treatment and so many other uh, treatments without permission, you see. This experience in this doctor's office was revolutionary for her because at one point the doctor was asking her questions that she felt like I've answered these questions. I don't have any of these conditions that you've asked me and he didn't believe her. Mm -hmm. And proceeded to press her about, are you sure you don't have high blood pressure and cholesterol and this? And, and do you have your own teeth, your original teeth? And he actually put his hands on her face and pulled her mouth open to look into her mouth to look at her teeth. And she talked about it as being a violation. Uh, and we have heard so many stories like that that make people more reluctant to even have these kinds of experiences. 
in some of the communities, you know, particularly in the uh, Hispanic community and uh, the Latinx community, you have so many who are uh, unwilling to put all of their information out there because, you know, when you ask them, they don't know what you're going to do with that information. So just so many conditions that they're experiencing that are rooted in these kind of systemic oppressive experiences that they've had. And the thing I think we need to remember is this is not just one point in time. You know, when we talk about the Tuskegee experiment, when we talk about conditions in uh, the Arab American communities and the African American communities, the Latinx communities that make them more reluctant, these things are passed down from generation to generation. There were people in some of these focus groups who were members of more than one generation. And they talked about it was the same consistency throughout the generations. So it's not just one point in time. You know, it's why today we are talking about this relative to COVID, right? Because communities have had these kind of experiences for generations and it affects them even today. Danielle, thank you so much for that background information. And you talk about being active in diversity inclusion efforts with your students, um, with your communities, other nonprofits. What do you think it will take, one, for these conditions to change, two, to shift the paradigm on the perspectives of our patients, and then three, what do people in our industry need to do to be more supportive of our patients, of our employees, and of each other as we seek to not end systemic racism, but greatly decrease it so that people do feel inclusive. The word that's on my mind right now is learn, that we need to be learning. And, you know, we've, we've got to be learning about communities, not like you're studying for some kind of test or book report, but that we're learning about life because we are so diverse, you know, in our communities, we are diverse in our professions and we need to be learning from one another. Uh, one of the things that some of these communities told us in focus groups is they want to matter, right? They want to matter and to know that their issues matter. Uh, you know, when we look particularly at African Americans, we know that their understanding about their own health, they're very self aware and they're very intuitive as a culture. When they go to the doctor and, you know, they start saying, okay, I understand what you're saying is, is a diagnosis, but this is what I'm feeling. They want that to be taken seriously, right? Because that intuition matters. For so long, you've had communities that have been neglected when it comes to the care of their health. So they have had to become more intuitive about what's going on in their bodies. And when they describe these circumstances, they want to know that they matter. Another thing that they told us is, is when they're having these experiences, they want to see people from other cultures also approaching them and having these conversations. Uh, they understand, particularly the Arab American community told us this, they understand that when they go to the doctor, they're not always going to see someone who is of the same culture or heritage as them. But what they want to see is people who have a level of cultural sensitivity, right? And who want to connect with them on a cultural level. Uh, and and we, we can't do that if we're not informed about the uniqueness of these cultures. I think another thing is we, we cannot see through our own mainstream lens. 
when we look at our medical system in this country, you know, it is a, a mainstream kind of system where it's, you know, a more Western system. And in a lot of my research, uh, at least, we have looked at uh, these kinds of, of health crises around the globe. And when you look at other communities, uh, cultural communities, you, you can't see through that lens, right? You can't use the same methods across the board. You have to really understand who it is that you're talking to. And so even when we're approaching people in the hospitals, uh, we have to understand who we're talking to. Uh, when we're talking to people at a fair or, you know, they're at my table talking to me about literature, we have to understand who we're talking to. And I think the last thing that I would say, you know, we talk so much about information and those of us who have a community relations background and we interface with the community around these kinds of issues and, and to have this dialogue with the community, we have to really understand um, who we're dealing with uh when these individuals come to us uh, in these communities and really what they're about, right? And what they want. When it comes to information, we need to be communicating with them in ways that they uh, actively communicate. So that may be using uh, ethnic media sources because they may not be using mainstream media sources. So I think a lot of this, uh, and, you know, what we were told in focus groups, some of it is on an interpersonal level. So when I make reference to the interactions in, in the doctor's office, some of it is on a community level. So when we're hosting events uh, and I think on a social level, that's where that cultural sensitivity comes in. But, you know, it's not about just giving people information, but we need to provide information in a way that is culturally relevant and then allow people the time to dialogue and really discern and interpret information so that their literacy for whatever it is that we're talking about increases and then stay there. You know, it's not a one and done. I think that's something that uh, the organ tissue and eye industry uh, has done a really good job of is really just having an imprint in a lot of these communities across the country. Stay there. And, and that's so important, the learning. But I also think um, something else that you do extremely well is having a conversation. And I think that we need to be able to make these conversations the social norm so that people learn as well as they understand what they're learning. I think that we have to communicate in a way that speaks to other people's, as you mentioned earlier, their languages, but really helps them understand the importance of what they're doing, why they're doing, and why they need to communicate it to their loved ones and family members. Do you agree? You you are so right. You know, you all can look at, at Gift of Hope, you can look at some of the things that you have done uh, in the community. When I look at Gift of Life Michigan and some of the things that they have done, even last year, you know, last year was so challenging. And so for many organizations, they had to pivot and start thinking about how do we continue these conversations and foster this kind of dialogue virtually? And I remember uh, they hosted a millennial roundtable. And here we were on this online platform, and we had people uh, from the millennial generation who were uh, sitting on this platform. And we had a real popular rapper who had had his own personal experience as a transplant recipient and as an organ recipient. 
And here he was on here, you know, sitting with these people from uh, the Detroit area community, the Flint, Michigan community, and they were having just a raw dialogue about their reluctance. And then for some of them, you know, support, because many of them through their experiences, they learned to support and embrace organ and tissue donation. But to hear it from the very mouths of people whose lives have been affected by it, it was nothing short of powerful. And I think having that kind of dialogue, and, you know, I think one of the things that drives us is as communicators and communication professionals, we like to organize things and we will uh, have a plan of action and a run of show. And, you know, we don't want to veer from that. And one thing leads to the other when we're hosting dialogues. But we have to learn to have more natural dialogues and allow people to express themselves. Because, you know, I think what was significant about that kind of dialogue was everybody that was on that call in that virtual space was not in support of organ and tissue donation. And here they were talking to people whose lives have been affected by it. And you better believe that even when they hang up from that Zoom call or whatever the platform we were using that day, this is something that's going to stick with them. And it's something for them to begin to think about. And I think dialogue fosters, I mean, I, you know, in a lot of ways, it contends with memory and history, but it fosters us to really talk across. And I think that's what we're trying to create is an environment where people are not talked to or fed information, but allowing people to be in an organic moment where they can talk across and really be open to their lives being changed by the dialogue. Well, Dr. Danielle Paget, I believe Lauren and I have learned so much from you today. I thought I knew a little bit about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but you have really been eye-opening in your discussion and your dialogue. What are some things that you'd like to leave your audience with, either a call to action or just something they can do small to be included in the diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation, but more importantly, what they can do to help as well. One of the things that we talked about a few minutes ago was learn. And I would say, you mentioned George Floyd's death, Breonna Taylor, and there have been so many others, Marion. When we look at the social unrest in this country, when we look at a lot of the division in this country and the moment that we're in now where we're trying to create more of a web with one another and have a time of talking and coming together, we have to be willing to come to the mat. And I think it's a time now to put our defenses down and it's a time now to really be genuine. You know, I think the thing that I will leave you with, there is a difference between just communication, debate and dialogue. And when we talk about communication, that's sending a message from a sender to a receiver and you got some noise there, you got a channel, there's other components there. When we talk about debate, we're trying to convince somebody to come to our side. We're outlining our position. We're standing strong on our position. We're presenting evidence. But when we talk about dialogue, we don't have to agree. You see, this is that moment where we can agree that we just need to understand one another. And I think that's where this thing needs to go, that we need to have be sitting around the table in our organizations 
And we need to agree that we can have more organic dialogue around these issues. And I don't think people should feel like they have to know everything because we're all in a time where we need to be learning from one another. But when you bring your best self and when you're able to be vulnerable, because I think that's another piece to this, and you're open to, okay, I don't know everything. I have to put myself out there and be vulnerable. That's when the change takes place. And we have to begin to do this if we want to really move the needle on encouraging multicultural communities to come to the table and to sign up ultimately to be organ tissue and eye donors. Thank you so much. If our listeners want to go home right after this and start learning, do you have any articles or literature or references that you suggest for them to start with? There's been a lot of work on having uh, conversations on race. And so, you know, I would say look at materials that talk about having dialogues on race. There are also, uh, I think Glenn Singleton is another one who has a, not just a text out, but a workbook and something that he uses in educational circles, but now community groups are using that as well. Uh, And so I sure can share a list of titles that you're able to share with your listeners And I would say also some things that really bridge the color lines. There's also some work we used on campus, a book called Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria that really talks about privilege and the need for all of us to embrace the privilege that we have and to begin to have just an organic and transparent conversation about uh, what privilege has done in our communities. So that's another one by Beverly Tatum. So again, you know, Lauren, I think I could share a lot that we could share with our listeners. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I'm excited to start reading those myself. And I believe that we can link those in our podcast episode details. I just want to reiterate what Marion said. Thank you so much for coming on. And we definitely learned a lot. And this was a truly amazing episode. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Hope. We encourage you to start the conversation about organ and tissue donation with your loved ones today and make your wishes known. You can register to become a donor on giftofhope.org or by texting HOPE to 51555. 